0: OK, I'm going to start recording.
1: Welcome to L&D+, where learning is a team sport. I'm Robin, filling in for Joey. And in each episode, my co-host Tom and I will bring you real stories of collaborative learning from the world's leading companies.
0: Today, we have two guests from animals, Cassie Naji, director of learning and development, and Harry Bryant, chief operating officer.
1: Animals is a content marketing agency that provides content strategy and creation to B2B SaaS companies, venture capitalists, and other tech companies.
0: Cassie and Harry were thrown together during a scenario that is probably familiar to many of our listeners. An employee isn't sure the path they're on is quite the right one for them anymore, and they're looking for some advice.
1: Luckily, the duo's collaboration to problem solve this issue led to the discovery of a major pain point holding up growth at Animals. And the duo was there with a the perfect solution.
0: Cassie and Hayley will explain what their process looked like. But first, some introductions.
2: Hi, thank you, Tom and Robin. Thank you so much for having us on. I'm Cassie. I am a journalist by trade and training many years ago. Um, I then moved into digital content and marketing and initially with NGOs in Asia. And I've been at Animals three years. I started out on the team as a writer, a content marketing manager. Um, and I recently got the chance to build the Animals L&D department from zero, which has been super exciting. I also have about 15 years of teaching experience on the side. It's always been a side gig of mine. Um, and that's been a, a big influence on the rest of my professional life.
0: Again, uh, over to you, Hayley, if you'd like to say hello.
3: Yeah, Tom and Robin, thanks so much for having us. Um, So I've been in leadership positions for the last 11 years and at Animals for three and a half years. I came in, focused on customer success and slowly grew from there slowly slash quickly uh expanding into people ops in particular uh, and today i'm the CEO of animals part of what attracted me to the company was uh writing i was a media studies major in college i thought i would go into journalism and then someone told me my fourth year that that was a dying uh industry so i i pivoted um and had a great experience working at apple and in a few tech startups before joining animals and this feels Very full circle to be here and helping other people uh, write, think, and grow through content.
1: I'd love it if you could explain a little bit more the scenario that actually led to you working even more closely with Haley.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, When I started out at Animals, as I said, I was a writer. Um, I wasn't. Uh, directly working with Hayley initially, but then quite quickly, she became my manager, like in the first three months and within about six months of joining the company, um, Hayley gave me this great opportunity to pioneer uh, a role that was then new at the company, which was the content strategist role. It was a total whirlwind. There was lots going on. It, it felt a little bit stressful, but it was great. And, and then COVID happened. Um, and I think for a lot of people, whatever sector they were working, whatever job or position they had, um, things became more challenging at work. And I think before, slightly before the pandemic, I'd had this feeling that maybe I wasn't quite in the right position. This new position was cool, but maybe it didn't quite feel right for me. And the pandemic really sharpened that feeling of not quite being in the right position and and sort of um unchained this whole series of doubts about oh gosh is it even the right company is it mm-hmm. even the right industry for me what am i doing it was a real existential crisis um and i was lucky enough to to have hayley as my manager and to be brave enough to go and talk to Haley about this problem so i i told her that i you know didn't want to be in the position i was in anymore and um, you know how could she help me think through it and we really tried to beat out um what my areas of interest in areas of expertise might be, and how that might interlink with what the company needed.
0: It's real. It's a great story to hear because I think for a lot of companies, um, if a, a, an employee or a, you know a team member has aspirations and interests elsewhere, they genuinely do have to just go elsewhere to pursue those. So it's a really it's a great story if you can uh, obviously nurture that that um, talent internally. Um, great. So a question for you, Harry. So when an employee comes to you with a conundrum um, such as Cassie's. Do you have a system or a playbook that you use to guide the next steps?
3: Great, great question. And before I answer that question, I just want to commend Cassie for her bravery. I remember sitting in multiple conversations and just being amazed by her vulnerability and saying that, you know, it wasn't what she wanted. It wasn't working and also being open to explore solutions with me collaboratively. So in terms of a playbook, no, I did not have a playbook when Cassie came to me. Uh, But I had become familiar with a leadership framework by Jim Dethmer, who's a, um, a coach, like an executive coach, and I guess a like a, a marriage marriage counselor as well, and uh, he has this great model for leading above the line, where below the line you're closed, and above the line you're open, you're curious. So yeah. I already had that um, that level of trust in Cassie and the willingness to be open with her because of her performance and her um, communication with me. So I think like we hire we hire great people, right? Mm-hmm. So when someone like Cassie comes to me, who's consistently performed well, embodied our values at work, been a great team player and taking ownership over um, not just sharing problems, but solutions, we, we have to be open and curious. And I felt really lucky that that we had that opportunity. Um, and, and I get excited when people come to me because we have this backlog of problems and opportunities that we don't have <laughs> bandwidth to explore as a four-person leadership team. So it, it allows us to elevate more people into positions where they can architect the future of our company. So for um, Cassie's
1: case, what did it actually look like to iterate that process and figure out what might be a better fit for her?
3: I think the first thing was understanding what skills energize the person um, and, and also realizing that what the person is good at may not be energizing to them. For Cassie, she was this unicorn. She was good at everything she did. A lot of the things that she was doing did not energize her. Um, and I think about uh, her, in, in the States, we have uh, Saturday Night Live, a pretty famous stand up comedy show. And one of the most famous comedians on that show, Bill Hader, um, he hates live television. Like he hates performing live and he's so good at it, but it, de- it doesn't energize him. So um, thinking about what skills energize was really important. Um, and then assessing past performance. Past performance is such a strong indicator of future performance. Cassie, is, as she mentioned, already had success building a rollout from scratch. And every step of the way, Cassie was driving. She's like, this is what we need to do. We need training. We need to figure this out. Um, she was very proactive. Mm -hmm. I really felt like I had a partner or even a leader in building out the strategist role. Um, One of the things that's been key, and Cassie was great about this, is having the team members share options and really letting them lead. Um, The few times that I've been prescriptive, like, you should do this, the, the reinvention just hasn't hasn't mm-hmm. worked out. Um, I, I used to think the best way to be helpful was by being directive, but it's really taking more of a situational leadership approach to meet the person where they are um, and make making this reinvention collaborative. So helping them prioritize, being able to talk about the business impact, um, and, and also understanding maybe further out that if someone's interested in, in participating in a cost center, that. That could eventually evolve into a revenue center. When Cassie came to us about LMD, um, you know, we look at people ops as this huge expense on on our you know P and L. When really it, it's something that can increase our margins pretty significantly and making people more fulfilled. So they want to stay longer. So you don't have these replacement costs and making them more productive. So I think th- those were the, the key steps kind of reflecting back that were helpful and that have been helpful with uh, other team members navigating hmm. this process.
0: Well, I, I think that really speaks to, um, you know, the culture that you have, that you have such open conversations when a, a team member says that they want to try something new. Um, I'd be really remiss in my podcast duties if I let this opportunity pass. Cassie, how do you feel about being labeled the Bill hater of content strategy?
2: Well, I would love to, to say I'm either flattered or, or anything, but I have no idea who this guy okay. is. <laughs> if he's funny, I love it.
0: Cool. Well, I'm um, jumping back to the issue of, um, I guess, having to make the business case for creating an L&D role within animals. So Cassie and Haley, how did you approach that in particular? Did you work on building that argument up together? And for any listeners who may be in a similar situation, what are some tips that you might have for that question?
3: So I I remember a trip to New York um, and walking through a park. I think like near Fourteenth Street with our CEO at the time, and saying to her like, "What if we could be the Lambda School of Content Marketing?" Uh, Overall, there was this idea of how can we help people learn as quickly as possible so they can move further in their careers faster. I remember bringing that question back to Cassie, and she just ran like she created this vision doc with. Uh, with charts and coherent actions that we could take to realize a, a culture of of learning management at at animals. and I, I'd love to hear her thoughts on the more tactical aspects of justifying this. but now, in you know, exit interviews in the engagement survey, just in talking of team members, the thing I hear over and over again is how much people love the learning culture at animals. and that's mm-hmm. that's Cassie. Like she's done that over the last the last year. Um,
2: for me, uh when i re- when haley and i came to the conclusion that um i wanted to move out of the content strategist role and i wanted to create an l d role which necessitated creating an l d department um and you know i had to have a strategy for how i got buy-in from the rest of the leadership team and the rest of the team in general on that and i think it was a sort of pincer movement um of creating an inspiring narrative and then um really showing that you understand the potential impact on the bottom line, both good and bad, like the actual real costs and the actual real potential benefits. And part of that was driven by the type of leadership team or the type of CEO in particular, we have our CEO at animals Devon is a visionary, inspirational, blue sky sort of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and for her to be excited about the potential Creation of this in inverted commas like cost centre, a role that was not going to be directly generating revenue. Um, The narrative was going to be really important for getting her on board. So I had to create a narrative that was forward looking, that was exciting, and that was also realistic. Um, And I wanted to rally the whole leadership team behind the idea of of our knowledge capital, of our learning as a growth lever. So looking at the potential costs of losing me as an employee, replacing me, looking at the Mm -hmm. costs of moving me into a new role and, um, Training someone else up and then breaking out perhaps how L&D could have a different positive impact on revenue. So what if we were more productive? What if we had lower retention costs across our team? What if we then had different revenue streams that were directly linked to L&D? So all those kind of things, even though they didn't form a cohesive strategy or roadmap, they showed that I was thinking as an owner, um, mm-hmm. as if animals were my concern and my project and not just you know, saying, hey, I want a new role. Um, why don't you give it to me?
3: Mm -hmm. I think it's important that Cassie got started really quickly without necessarily knowing where the org was going super long term. She was like, what can I do today? What's... um, impact I can have today to just get started. So starting our lunch and learn program, coordinating that across the team um, to to just start acting as if she was already our director of L&D.
2: You know, in all those 80s movies when they say like dress for the job you want and then like the protagonist comes out with enormous shoulder pads or something like this. um, I thought, well, I can't really do that at Animals because we're all in our tracksuits, it's the middle of the pandemic, we're a remote company anyway, how am I gonna dress like a director of L&D? And so I just said okay, the remote pandemic equivalent of that is just do the job. Um, mm-hmm. Just start doing the job. If you think there's a need, start doing it and show that it's justified, show your impact. So I immediately started, Pretending I was director of L and D without asking anyone, and then showing the imp- the positive impact on the team and on the numbers of mm-hmm. of playing that role. I and, wonder and if then- you if
0: you wouldn't mind. I've got just. I'd like to dig into one question on that. I think what everything you've just talked about is um, it's hugely instructive for people within companies that may not yet have a dedicated L and D function and may yet to, be yet to make the business case for that. Um, for people in that position who might not be entirely confident um, presenting things in terms of business impact, in terms of the the raw numbers, how can you go about making the case without necessarily making it all about the bottom line?
2: Well, for me, I was I, I must admit I was quite focused on the bottom line. Not because Animals is a really um, a company that just focuses on the bottom line relentlessly. There's a lot more creativity going on, but because I have a bit of a, a chip on my shoulder about you know being an arts graduate, not knowing, not knowing my numbers, not knowing the data, and I wanted to prove that was wrong. So I had coaches and mentors on the team and beyond who you know, helped me figure out the numbers and make the business case. So that was important to me to be able to show that I was on top of my brief personally. I think if um, one thing that um, is really interesting when you're trying to create the argument for a new role or a new movement is to look at content marketing, which is our bread and butter at animals, and think about the, the use of category creation. What do you do if you want to someone to buy a product that's in a little known or currently non-existent category that solves a problem that doesn't have a name? You create a movement around it. We can see examples of that in content marketing where the famous example is Drift, a software mm-hmm. company who invented conversational marketing um, because, because it helped sell their product and it was a really smart move. And so without without inventing a problem or fantasizing a problem, how can I put a, a frame around the current situation to help di- direct people towards a solution that I think is the correct one, which would be the yeah. creation of a person dedicated to, to L&D?
1: I love that parallel between um your, your approach as a content marketer and your approach as somebody trying to build a new role. Um so Cassie, so now in your new L and D role, do you find that history is repeating itself a little bit? Um do you have other people come to you now saying that they're not fulfilled in their current position, you know, as you had originally come to Haley?
2: Yeah, that definitely happens. Um I, I suppose maybe it happens to all companies. One thing I think is wonderful at Animals is we can have those conversations. So at a lot of, like Tom said earlier, at a lot of companies, maybe you just leave because you think you're not going to get a hearing. And I think it's it's good that we have that kind of restless curiosity. Curiosity is one of our values. And I love the fact that people are so sort of ceaselessly looking for another challenge. They don't really rest on their laurels. Um, and that's my project now in my L&D role is how to, um, to figure out not necessarily paths but frameworks that these restless and curious people can use to try out new ideas so what i'm thinking through right now is how to provide a jumping off point for innovation and experimentation from the team how can we create a mini incubator or accelerator for these kind of people who want to try something out Mm -hmm. and that would involve giving them a sort of handbook for experimentation for identifying the problems for for coming up with solutions and hypotheses, and then for testing and iterating, and how do we, as leaders, make smarter decisions about who we take a risk on, mm-hmm. um, how we absorb those costs of experimentation, you know, giving someone time to do a project, or 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 supporting them to do a project. Um, we don't have the same kind of margins that a software company has you know we're a services company it's a different business model mm-hmm. um, and we have to be thinking about okay as an organization operationally how can we structure ourselves and organize ourselves so that we can support people who want to experiment and innovate because it, it benefits us as well we retain them and they're hugely creative and curious people so we mm-hmm. want to retain them
0: great and I guess um, a question for you Harry is Um, you know, on the flip side of that, so what are some of the challenges from an office perspective to be able to have and nurture that reinvention? Or is that just part and parcel of hiring and retaining really smart, driven people?
3: Yeah, great question, Tom. So at Animals, we believe that content is one of the most important skills that you can have. It's a path to becoming an expert, an entrepreneur, an executive, uh, a manager, or or something else. Um, When people get to a stage where they're ready to explore, consistently performing, supporting their team, helping their customers win, they have their managers buy-in, we want to help them figure out what's next instead of them flying the coop, right? So our early development levels were tiered into learn, grow, and specialize with three levels at each tier. Um, So the the foundation was already built for innovation with this idea of specialization. and the importance of giving people the opportunity to pivot was really clear early on when Devin and I joined, because we joined when animals had been around for two and a half years. And there are people who had been there since the beginning who are getting antsy and we're ready to explore. Um, The the main challenges I've seen uh, in this are with proving ROI, um, justifying the investment in experiments, creating enough process, but not too much process, um, perceived fairness and, and organization. And I guess to, to touch on each of those things briefly. Mm -hmm. So with proving ROI, we need a measurable impact to know whether or not the experiment, this reinvention is is working, not just for accountability, but for impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, As Cassie mentioned, we're a service-based business. We don't have SaaS margins. So we have to know that we can maintain or improve margins Um, and maybe not short-term, right? Like. Like willing to take the the Bezos sort of leap of faith, if we think that long term we can get margins to where where mm-hmm. they need to be, and in terms of justifying that investment, um, I've been asking myself a lot recently, like what what time is it um, to kind of figure out what we need to be focused on, what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been times where people have come with an incredible idea. There are a few things that have floated around for the last six months that I would love to move on. Um, But the timing doesn't make sense yet for us or them. Mm -hmm. Um, Our our CEO emphasizes the importance of saying no, so we can say yes, or Mm -hmm. not right now, right? Like, let's come back to that. Um, And we've just experienced that with a a DEI focused internship that we're, we're just now launching. Time wasn't right. Now it is which is great. Um, and then around creating process. Uh, so when I first owned a reinvention project at animals with a 10 year team member, one of those, uh, those restless people I'd mentioned, Mm -hmm. our founder got me on a call and was like, why so much paperwork? Like, just like, just like let them like do it, like figure it out, you know? And, uh, I do think it's important to give people the space to go and do the thing. Right. Like, Uh, but balancing that with a plan. Um, And then I think lastly, just perceived fairness. And this is an ops problem because if people feel like the process is unfair, then they don't trust us as much. And if we're not trusted, then that creates retention problems, which creates customer Like it just all kind of um, is a ripple effect. So the ideas that we've been able to realize have really been largely from the team, occasionally from us saying this is something we need to do. Um, I think the the... The magic happens when it's it's happening from both sides. So someone has an idea, we have a similar idea, and mm-hmm. it's like that all comes together, and uh, you know something great something great can happen. When we originally joined in twenty eighteen, um, specialization was pretty opaque, and I think that at seventeen people and a lot of customers on legacy pricing, it, it was just too expensive. Um, we were at a stage in the business where everyone had too much on their plate to really be curious or to figure out how to make aspirational growth happen. Um, and now we're going through this restructure that's intended to provide clearer ownership um, and to create more space for curiosity. So we we have this new role with product with Cassie that I think coming together can help us explore these explore curiosity in a more structured way.
1: Um, so Cassie, a question for you. You you mentioned earlier just. Just how incredibly fast uh, Animals is growing, and I can imagine that from your perspective, needing to build out training for everybody, especially when you're a one-woman show—at least for now—could um, be quite a challenge. How do you approach creating all of the the courses and the content that um, your colleagues need at Animals?
2: Um, I love this question because this is an an evolution that I'm going through at the moment as an L&D professional. When I first came into the role, I was supercharged for creating just so many courses because i'd seen so much need among my team and among among my teammates where you know people didn't know how to do a new thing that they had to do and um, i wanted to come charging in and say i'm gonna solve all of this here's a training course Mm -hmm. Um, and over the last six months um I've, i've gone i've done a complete 180 and i've decided that 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 approach was wrong i think for, for animals in the current growth phase that we're at and the type of company we are, um static training, like in the traditional sense, is is totally wrong for us. We just move way too quickly. We need much more agility in in my work and in the the support that we offer the team. Um in our current rate of, of growth and change by the time I've upskilled someone. That skill isn't always useful by by the time they come out the other end of the training. And that's obviously hugely, it just doesn't make any sense from any perspective. So I think as we go into 2022, what I'm really focusing on is this idea, this concept of invisible L&D, invisible but omnipresent. You don't see it, but it's everywhere. my ambition is to do to make zero bums-on-seats trainings, zero courses that you have to log in and complete in the software, and instead create this learning community in which we teach people how to think and make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving away from that tactical process, process-focused L and D um, and instead giving everyone across the team the mental tools and frameworks that to do continual thinking in different contexts and different scenarios. Um, so that new approach is built around some key tenets that I'm working on at the moment. Things like L&D should be invisible. Training is one of many possible solutions, but not the default solution. And things like we playbook learning, not processes. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I'm really focusing on at the moment. And for me, it's um, uh, a, new, a new step, uh, a new progression of our L&D, um, which is exciting, I think.
0: And uh, I guess, Cassie, you're in quite a unique position in that you can really relate to the peers you're creating training for, or I guess, um, you know, encouraging them to create training for their own peers, because you've done their job before. Um, and how do you think that experience has helped you in creating and nurturing relevant training?
2: Having the experience of having done a few jobs at animals and understanding what people are going through is really useful. And it also creates a slight Achilles heel in my approach to l and I think. I really have to make sure that I'm not falling foul of confirmation bias mm-hmm. or assuming that my experience is the standard, is the norm. Um, my experience is just one experience out of 120 people on the team at, uh, at this point. And if I assume that the way I would train or learn how to deal with a situation is the only way to do it, then I'm really going to be leaving out a lot of learners. So trying to decenter my own experience at the same time as as using it, um, to try and to try and help me think through problems that people are going through. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I think one thing that helps me do that is trying to keep at the front of my mind that it's actually not my job to train people in granular details. That's not the most powerful and impactful thing I can be doing at the company. I think my job is to empower the team to improve business outcomes
3: yeah and i think cassie set up to balance um the teaching of theory at a very high level the framework level versus tactically and practice because of how people learned at animals in the very early days it was our founder with a whiteboard and a marker you know in chicken scratch saying like this is the model this is how we're going to think about um MISI, for example, McKinsey framework. That's how we're gonna apply it to writing um, and teaching people frameworks for thinking versus the process um, to use underneath that framework. So I think what Cassie's describing is much higher leverage um, and longer term impactful, more impactful, although uh, it takes it takes time, it takes does take that practice.
1: Well, I've I've got kind of a related question, and and Cassie, I think you might have touched a little bit on this earlier, but um, Aside from just knowing uh, end to end what the job of a content strategist is like because you've done it, um, do you think your time as a content strategist has helped you in your L&D role now? Thinking of things like setting KPIs or metrics, or as you mentioned earlier, how to pitch a new category or a new role for yourself. Um, Are there any interesting parallels that that you could draw there?
2: I think when you're a content marketer or a, a good content marketer anyway, uh, your goal is to educate your your target audience in how to do something or how to think about something. Mm-hmm. And it, so that's inherently informative and it looks to spur action or change. There are those important things you you don't just inform, you inform and look to spur action or change when you're a content marketer or a content strategist. And, and that kind of um, one-two punch of content marketing is really relevant in L&D as well. Just informing people, just educating people um, that that's, that's a great um, objective to have. But in a corporate context, in a business context, it's not enough. And it's not the final objective. I also want to um, inform and educate and inspire change allow, enable people to change, empower them to, to make progress. So having that as your basic framework for how you think about um, what you're creating and how you're creating it um, has been really informative and something I've been able to to port over from content strategy to, um, to the L&D role. And then there are more granular things like, you know, know your audience, know their problems, know the right communication channel, things like mm-hmm. those basic um, marketing tenets, which um, are just as applicable when you're creating educational content um, in, an, in an L&D context.
0: Mm. So given that L&D is brand new at Animals, um, so on the org chart, where did you decide how it would fit and, and where would it slot in?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we're still figuring out a lot with our org structure. I'm on version 19, I think, of it. Uh, so we're we're just still iterating. Um, when I initially shared the org structure with our CEO based on conversations we'd had, conversations with a few other um, leadership team members, I was thinking that it made sense for l to report directly into Devin um, because as, as Cassie mentioned, she's visionary. She's thinking super long-term about the business. As the COO of Animals, my primary focus is on what's happening right now today um, and and tying back the vision, purpose, mission that we've set as a leadership team to make sure that we're moving forward so that when Devin says, this is the next thing, we're ready to go. Um, right now, the opportunities we have in the business, since we've grown so much in the last year, are really in upskilling all of our new team members, making our managers as strong as they can be. So LD has a ton uh, to do in, in the short term, um, thinking about how we can make the business better today. And, and also, I mean, ideally, you know, I think before... Cassie moves on to what's next, she's replacing herself, right? That's how you gain leverage in an organization. You give your work away, you've taken it from zero to one, she's taken it to zero, from zero to 100, I think, but um, someone else can probably take it to a thousand, which is really exciting.
2: I think it's a kind of fun story about when Haley showed me that maybe iteration 18 of the org chart, um, the one before the current one, and she she showed it to me in a meeting. And it actually, I did sort of, um, I lolled, I giggled a bit because we had this whole company organized into really nice color coordinated connected pods, it was all kind of matching and interlinked. And then right out on the far right of this org chart, I think in black, or in some kind of color that no one else had, there was Cassie (laughs) L&D, and it wasn't really attached to anyone. And I really love that. Like, I just love the fact that L&D is this thing in animals where it's so new, and it's so mobile and flexible and agile. And it's L and D is kind of everywhere at Animals, but it belongs to no one. It's not boxed up in a corner mm-hmm. um, with, you know, strict rules about what we have to do or what we can focus on. It's kind of still this freewheeling rookie department working with with the ops team, with people ops, with product, with customer ops, with people who are in the first day of the company or working with the CEO and the COO. Um, And I think that's a really charming position to be in for a new department and really um, helps me to be my most effective. Yeah.
3: And one other one other note on that, um, we we really want animals to be the home for creatives. And we we feel like we've already done a lot to um, help people who are maybe in the middle of their content marketing careers, they already have some experience and they wanna get more um, and and learn faster. Mm -hmm. So we really focus on our core business so far, Um, but longer term, we do see opportunities with education to help people get education in content marketing a lot earlier in their careers Mm -hmm. um, and to open doors for more people. And then longer term with innovation, coming back to how do we retain amazing people? We help them realize their ideas, which then impact the company positively and impacts them Um, we've seen a couple people leave animals to become founders in very related spaces so it'd be great to be able to do more of that at animals
0: Um, for service companies such as animals you know employee knowledge is really such a a key asset when you're looking at ways to spur growth and i think this project has really demonstrated that so um i guess uh, cassie and Haley both like what have you both learned uh, in 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 that respect, in terms of how this transition and this project has been an opportunity to better capture employee knowledge to improve uh, growth over time,
2: it becomes clearer and clearer every day to me that as a creative agency, our differentiator and what we sell and make and and profit from is brilliance. It's our <laughs> team's brilliance that is our main product. Um, our company's expertise is what we sell and i truly believe that in a company that sells expertise and knowledge D then becomes like an engineering team in a software company um, where we identify requirements for knowledge transfer and mm-hmm. knowledge improvement so i think that's the the key to thinking about knowledge at animals in that it it is something that has to be honed iterated transferred and improved all the time mm-hmm. um, so I think that's how we're we're thinking about how we can grow our knowledge capital and L&D's role in it is thinking of this sort of constructive um, building role of L&D in, in allowing people to transfer knowledge between each other and then outwards in a more effective way.
3: I, I, I think right now, more than ever, uh, the importance of purpose at work is so clear. Mm-hmm. And what this collaboration showed me was the opportunity to help collaboratively create purpose with and for a team member um, I think that's when that's when work becomes really fun so coming back to the model I referenced at the beginning of the podcast leading above the line um, when you're below the line you're negative you're closed when you're and, and fearful when you're above the line you're hopeful you're curious you're open um, and, and kind of the the top level of this model is kind of work as play and what I've seen from Cassie in the last, Year is her playing, experimenting, having fun, which I think like that's that's the ultimate at work, right? To to be so interested in what you're doing that it it is it is fun. You feel brave to experiment and to um, be brilliant in the thing that you do. So the the importance of purpose is really clear to me, and then also um, just the role that we have as leaders. Uh, going back to the situational leadership model, um, you know, there's the very directive approach, go do this, and there's more of a delegating approach, like here's the vision, like, you know, go go and fly. Um, I- I'm increasingly realizing, and maybe it's because we have so many talented people on the team who are able to do so much and offer such great advice, insight, direction. Um, the role that Devin and I play is creating a container for people to do their best work. It's not necessarily in saying, this is exactly what you need to do.
1: I think that's such an important point, too, um, what you're saying, purpose purpose at work, but also that you know an employee can be really good at their job, but not necessarily excited by it. So, yeah, you need to <laughs> align those things and make sure that that... Um, that's working for them. But um, I, I guess I wanted to ask um, both of you then um, to wrap things up. Um, what's the one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this this collaboration that you guys have worked on together?
2: I, I am convinced that contribution to the growth and to the maturation of a scale up like animals should not belong exclusively to business development titles or even to the C-suite. I think instead of seeing L&D as a back office role um, that merely reacts to orders or dictat from the C-suite as perhaps it used to be. Um, L&Ds definitely need a more strategic role in reshaping organizations and operations to spur growth. So I think that for me has been a really big takeaway of the potential of L&D as a, a proactive um, and building role within a company.
3: Yeah, for me, um, this collaboration showed me what someone can do when they are self-led, uh, more than anything. It's it's that taking that level of ownership, um, another one of our core values, where you see a problem or opportunity, and you figure out how to move towards it. And multiple people who are currently being promoted in the organization and, and in this restructure are the people that have been self-led this year, who've taken ownership, who've seen opportunity. Um, and I really, I don't think you can overvalue that in an organization, um, in, in leaders especially, but Individual contributors as well. So, um, yeah, that that's something that I, I've always looked up to leaders who are self-led, um, and I, I I definitely look for it in the people who are going on to to innovate in the organization. Thanks so much to Cassie and Haley for joining us.
0: If you're looking for more great collaborative learning stories, be sure to subscribe to LND Plus wherever you get your podcasts, and check out our show notes for more LND content from 360 Learning.
1: Thanks for listening, and see you next time.